This podcast is not intended to provide any investment advice. The opinions expressed here by either the hosts or guests do not necessarily reflect the views of PSA, Collectors Holdings, or any of their affiliates. Any discussion of collectible values in the past or present is not a guarantee of future performance. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the PSA pod. I'm your host, Ryan Green, along with Steve Sloan, as always, here from PSA HQ in Orange County. Good morning. What's going on? You have a good weekend? I did. Uh, It was an adventurous weekend in the sports world. It was kind of hard to unplug from. I'm glad you came out of retirement to come to work on Monday. Thank you. My retirement was shorter than Tom Brady's, and uh, that's, that's, that's tough to say. So yeah, we are very excited today to talk about a lot of things. There's there's no shortages in terms of hobby topics to dive into. But we are also welcoming a new member to the PSA family and the PSA pod family, the growing PSA pod family here today. PSA magazine managing editor, Jack Archer. Jack, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Uh, It's my third week with the company. I've loved every single day, uh, and I'm, I'm really excited to be here on the podcast, give some hot takes, some lukewarm takes, hopefully no cold takes, but uh, uh, I love talking cards, and I love sports, and I love uh, just all of this stuff, so I'm, I'm excited to be here. So you're going to fit in perfect here. This is going to be good. I'm glad we got the, uh, now we got a trio here, we're going to mm-hmm. be able to go, you know, I can, we can gang up on Ryan Jack, this is going to be awesome. Excellent. I've already prepared. I'm, a, I'm like Jon Snow in the middle of the battlefield. I've already got my, yeah. No. Uh, so Jack, as a first timer here on the show, you gotta, you, you gotta, you gotta, it's tradition now. So tell everyone out there what you collect, how long you've been collecting, your story as a collector, what you're into, whatever you want to share about you as a collector. Let's go. Yeah, I started collecting when I was eight years old. Um, I moved to Seattle right around that time. And that was when Griffey was hitting a-Rod, Edgar Martinez, the big unit, Randy Johnson. It's really easy to fall in love with basketball. Um, and that's when my card collecting passion really hit. And then when Ichiro came in 2001, I was a little bit older, had a little more allowance to throw around. And that's what really uh, poured gasoline on the fire. And lately, over the past several years, just learning about authenticating and, and PSA and the importance of, of quality and condition uh is really what turned a like a hobby of mine into like a deep deep passion um so i've been collecting for a while right now the majority of my collection is made up with basketball football and baseball cards i have a really healthy jason tatum collection a growing devin booker collection i'm really big on fernando tatis and uh, on the football side, I am a huge Justin Herbert fan, believer, and collector. I most recently picked up his Purple Prism 125 PSA 10. Uh, it is a beautiful card. I think it's a pop 10. And for those who collect football and specifically collect Prism football, they know all the condition issues uh, 2020 Prism football had. So I'm, I'm really excited to add that one to the collection. It looks like the Chargers are going all in too. So uh... Oh, yeah. This is uh this is a good thing for Herbert collectors. So they got that they got that two year window before he's gonna eat up about eighty five percent of their cap space. So why not? You push all the chips in now, right? Yeah, they're not playing. I'm excited to see how it goes. Well, I, 
I love your story as a collector. It's it's like so many uh, of us here at at, at PSA, and um, yeah, you're gonna fit in right right here. This is uh, I got no worries about that. Right on. So before we get to all the fun stuff, because we got a lot of it today, let's let's get you know kind of the news and nuggets from here in the PSA building um, out there. So you know the first thing we want to talk about today is the economy service level because there's been some chatter about this. Um, you know, stuff is flying through our facilities at uh, the economy level and higher right now. Economy orders are flying. Regular service level orders are flying. Express, as always, is flying. So, Steve, give a little insight uh, from the business side, what's happening here and, and you know, a little bit of a peek behind the curtains. Yeah, I think we've just, operations has dialed it in. And we do, did a little experimentation with the different uh, allocation numbers and finally got to the number I think that is most suitable for the inbound side and it's getting through quite quickly because of that so the 20 card allocations will continue again this week which is uh, uh you know obviously been very uh, helpful for our operations and it's flying through we're also we do have excess capacity and that's by design within economy so we're keeping the focus on value all the backlog stuff so we can continue to get that out at a higher than 80 percent clip uh it's good news for those submitting at not only economy but you mentioned regular and express so that stuff's just coming and going quite quickly through the building, which is good news for all the upcoming uh, baseball season coming up here and everything else that's getting submitted in high clip. Yeah. And like you said, capacity is growing. And, um, you know, in case you missed it last week on our social channels, we, we shared our February, February, 2022 PSA by the numbers data and something of note to bring to the show here in case you missed it. Um, you know, we announced last week that we graded and shipped 802,694 total cards in February, 2022. Uh, that's a 3% gain over January 2022, which sounds small, but we have now graded and shipped one a uh, little over 1.5 million cards YTD through February 2022. And if you compare that to YTD through February 2021, that is a 24% increase. Yeah, don't discount the fact there's fewer days in February. Yeah. You know, every day matters true. to the ops. So those three extra days really helped uh, push out a little extra more. And of course, they're working uh, on Saturdays. We have shifts on Sundays as well. So the, I, I think a lot of people uh, would appreciate the fact that we do have, we're basically open almost all week uh, where there's a few hours during the week we're closed, mm -hmm. but that's it. And so the, the operations is grinding to get stuff out. So the vibes are good. Yeah, for sure. The vibes are good. And let's bring that into the meat of today's show talking about hobby topics. Now we expect a whirlwind of a week on the news side in, in both baseball and football with free agency, you know, so many other things to come in both sports. Uh, at the time of this record, the recording of this show Monday morning, we already have so much to dive into. Like the, the Tom Brady thing happened yesterday and it's, it's like, you're not even surprised that just big news bombs are just dropping left and right, even on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys are going to excel at this one. A lot of baseball talk coming, a little F1 talk coming. So mm -hmm. would you want to start with baseball? We're going to start with baseball. So, you know, last week's news made everyone here at PSA and this building, a lot of baseball collectors here. And But, you know, baseball is also a big part of our business. We were very, very excited for obvious reasons. So let's just jump right in to give you a little bit of insight to set up this segment. These were the 10 most submitted baseball athletes at PSA from this offseason. So basically, November 1 through February 28 is what, what this data reflects. The number one most submitted at, uh, baseball player throughout the offseason at PSA, 
no shock, the defending AL MVP, Shohei Otani, by a pretty decent margin over number two, Mickey Mantle. A little surprising. Number three, Ken Griffey Jr. Number four, Mike Trout. Number five, as Jack mentioned before, Fernando Tatis Jr., one of the hottest names in the hobby. Number six, Derek Jeter. Two more active players at number seven and eight. Number seven, Juan Soto. Number eight, Vladdy, Vlad Guerrero Jr. And then number nine and number 10, a pair of, uh, pair of standouts from the vintage era, Nolan Ryan and Willie Mays. So let's spin this forward a little bit. Outside of those five active players in that top 10 list, who is someone you think potentially cracks that list in the next four months? So when we're talking about this, in, you know, as we're getting into the dog days of summer, um, based on a breakout strong start to the 2022 season, who are we going with? I mean, for me, the answer is pretty obvious. If you say four months from now, mm-hmm. so by then series two will be out and I'm, I'm, Pretty certain Bobby Wood Jr. is going to be on the opening day roster for the Royals, in which case he'll probably be in Series 2. And if that's the case, the hype for him right now, I mean, especially coming off a of PSA pod uh, appearance, <laughs> is, uh, is, is crazy. And a lot of his Bowman first stuff is, is approaching the Wander Franco level. Yes. Um, and he hasn't, he hasn't had a single major league at bat. So if he comes out and performs, and I, I think he's going to, I'm, I'm very high on him, I think the demand and interest in his series two cards is going to be bananas. And it wouldn't shock me if he was number one on that list. I like it. I like it. I'm going to, I'm going to go with a comeback story. I'm going to Cunha. Uh, You know, he should be back in May from the tour, torn ACL. Uh, You know, if I look at that list and if Fernando Tatis Jr. is on that list, uh, one of the most electric young players, you know, I put Acuna stride for stride with, with Tatis. So Tatis is on the list. Acuna can be on the list if healthy. And given the fact that the hobby and fans love the comeback story, I, I think people are going to start looking more at Acuna. Well, look at number one on that list, Shohei Otani. He was a comeback last year off of, you know, a tough 2020. So I I like the vibes there. That's uh, I'm going with a little bit of an obvious answer. Uh, we've talked about him plenty on the show already the last couple of weeks. Wanda Franco, solely because I mean, you know what what Bobby Witt potentially could be in the middle of the season, and I agree with Jack on that out of series two, that's what Wanda Franco is right now. And every product that comes out over the next few months, he's the chase. So I think we're going to see a lot of them coming in here in the building. And, uh, you know, especially if he performs out of the gate for one of the five best teams in all of baseball. Yeah. You hope he does. Well, let's, uh, let, let's kind of jump from that because, you know, there's a season for a reason and that's because they came to a new collective bargaining agreement. Um, and with that collective bargaining agreement, and the labor agreement, there's some notable rule changes. Um, this is cool. This I like is, it. Yeah, there's there's about time baseball does something. Look, you either adapt or die, right? Yeah. And uh, so we've so there's a few we want to touch on here. And the first one I think is kind of the most you know talked about so far, the universal DH. All right. Yeah. Before, this, this is yeah. the most polarizing one because you yes. have you have AL fans and you have NL fans, and it's pretty clearly divided based on what what side you're on. So, so I'm an AL guy, so okay. I obviously like this. Tired of watching pitchers hit in the sixth inning. Give me a break. Jack, I know you're going to fight me on this one. But. Yeah, I mean, okay. <laughs> first of all, anyone who's seen Bartolo Colon swing a baseball bat <laughs> realizes the joy that watching watching hitters uh, step into the batter's box brings baseball fans. But for me, 
I, I mean, I, I think the best kind of baseball is essentially chess with chewing tobacco and the NL games without a DH, there's so much, there's so many extra layers of strategy that come into play between pinch hitters, pinch runners, uh, using your bench strategically and effectively. Um, it really makes for more interesting baseball, um, from a pure strategy perspective. Jack, and, you don't look like you're 80 years, 80 years old, but you're talking like it right now. Strategy, <laughs> give me a break. Give me home runs. Give me hits. Give me guys on base. Give me some action out there. I mean, you can have you can have both of those things, though. I don't know. I don't know. I, th- I think, you know, watching enough pitchers sit up there with the bat on their shoulder, take three strikes and walk back to the dugout, for me, negates the whole strategy thing. But in terms of how this relates to the hobby, yeah, if I could, I'm not going to let him retort. That's why I just <laughs> want to change it. Change it. I, I have one retort, and I'm going to right now. Okay. Go for it. So my retort is a, a compromise. Hear me out here. Okay. Starting pitchers, DH. Mm. As the starting pitcher exits the game, the pitchers have to hit. Adds a little extra. It's kind of like right down the middle. See, I makes like sense, Makes sense to me. I like rules with wrinkles like that. Yeah. Because here, because here's the thing. Like, yes, for every iconic Bartolo Colon home run at Petco Park, there's like a hundred examples of guys just getting up there and looking like they have no business being at the plate. But I, I will miss runners wearing jackets. So <laughs> that that is the one thing that I think the whole game is going to add a loss. <laughs> the best the best style move on the baseball diamond since John Olerud is wearing the hard hat. <laughs> yeah, fair, definitely true. All right, so how, back to the hobby. You know, I look at this as as a a nice opportunity for some older guys to to prolong their careers, chase some stats. Which, depending on how you look at, it, you might hate it, you might love it. I actually like it. I remember Frank Thomas, uh, you know, in, in his later years, going to Oakland, going to Toronto, and it, it was nice to see him in new markets, getting exposed to new fans. And uh, you know, I look at that today with Pujols, and and now there's a good chance he could go back to St. Louis, which would be pretty cool. But also, he is chasing. Uh, his place in the all-time home run list. He only needs 18 more to pass A-Rod, which I would personally cheer for. I know you're an A-Rod, uh, A-Rod guy there, Ryan. A big A-Rod but, guy. But if he, go, if he you know, is just outside of Bonds, Aaron, and Ruth, I think that's a pretty nice standing. And if the DH allows him to do that, that's cool by me. I, I like Pujols over A-Rod. I, you know, I, I, I kind of like the idea of a guy like a 41-year-old Nelson Cruz, like, still hanging on he's yeah i think he's like 50 home runs away from 500 if, if even um as long you know, as he doesn't pull a harold baines and get in the hall of fame or something <laughs> like that so. i don't know i but i i agree i think from the hobby standpoint you know who knows how much impact it has you know i know you have a little bit more opinion on that um but you know it's giving it's giving some legends more of an opportunity it's it's up to these teams to determine whether they're actually worthy of still having those opportunities or they're just stat chasing I don't know. Okay. Well, there. The, I've an- said my piece. Okay. <laughs> Another one to touch on here: the increased base sizes. Now, Jack, I know you are passionate about this one. Um, in a game of inches, right, and milliseconds could make a big difference. So, what? So, you know, where are you seeing? Where are you seeing it? Yeah, I mean, people are are kind of overlooking this. Mm-hmm. You see a lot of memes on Twitter. Uh, and you see a lot of like safety emphasis. Ricky Henderson holding up the oversized. That's exactly <laughs> what, what came one. to mind. Yeah. yeah. But so the bases themselves are moving to 15 inches to 18 inches. So it's not like the XXL pizza size and the Ricky Henderson meme. It's just slightly bigger. And yes, it it will make it more safe for for players to avoid collisions and all that stuff. But the big thing is that it's going to make stealing bases a lot more 
easy and a lot more prevalent. So you're going to see speedsters like Trey Turner comes to mind. And then a lot of the big names in the hobby, Acuna, Tatis, uh, even, you know, uh, Bo Bichette in some cases, they're going to be able to steal more bases, uh, create more runs and and help their teams win on the base pass at, at, a, at a greater velocity. So I think that's that's a really interesting thing. And in, in, in my opinion, it's being completely overlooked with all this other news. Well, let me ask you something else on that. Do you think so? One of my biggest frustrations with like players I follow, right, is when they start to get when they start to, as I like to say, stop running, right? Like guys will steal bases for several years and then they just stop, even though they're physically still capable of doing it. Do you think this will extend that at all? Or do you think it'll have any impact? Like, do you think we'll start seeing, you know, a guy like Trout, like stealing bases later in his career? Yeah, Trout's the perfect example because when he was, when he was uh, in his early 20s, he was stealing 30 bases a year, and now you'll, you're, you're lucky if you see him, I don't know, steal 10 this mm-hmm. year would be my guess. Uh, but yeah, I, I do. I do think it's going to make it more sought after, and I think managers, when they see a lot of the percentages um, and a lot of the analytics come out of it, they're going to they're gonna be telling even their star players, uh, even the players that might have lost a half a step, like mm-hmm. Trout in his, in, as he ages, um, they're going to they're gonna give the green light quite a bit more. I like that. I think the big winner here, are collectors who like base relics because there's going to be a lot more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it keeps a five-tool guy, a five-tool guy a little longer, right? Yeah. I, I like that. So la- the last one we're going to talk about here is probably if if Universal DH is the most polarizing, this is 1A, and that's the banning of the shift. So who, I know I know we've got some, some hot takes here on this. Who wants to dive in first? Well, I'll do it because Jack probably has a much more informed opinion on this than i do i just like the fact that when a ball is hit from the perspective of the tv viewer Mm. i have a pretty good idea off the off the bat if it's going to be hit or not because i would that would screw with me every single time i'm like oh it's he's going gapper nope right into the shortstop who's playing right field so i'm i'm very excited about this from a uh from a viewing standpoint. Yeah, aesthetically, it's going to make a huge difference. And you have to think of the casual baseball fan is flipping channels and they see the, sh- like, what are they thinking when they see the shift? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was I was diving into this from from a, a hobby perspective to see how this could kind of relate to hobby favorites. When we were talking about in the office last week, you know, Joey Gallo, Steve's favorite player, Matt Olson, those are kind of the, uh, like the, the first names that came to mind of who would benefit this. But if you dive into the numbers, there's a handful of names that I think will we'll see better production this year. And a few of them are, are pretty, are pretty uh, collectible. So Bryce Harper comes to mind. Uh, I think he could easily hit over 300 this year. Um, And he's coming off his, he's he's coming off his uh, NL MVP. Mm -hmm. And I think you saw a lot of his stuff down and then it went up with the MVP and I've been tracking his market pretty closely and his stuff has, has really stayed strong. Okay. I'm looking to get one right now and it's been, it's been tough to find one at a price I was really comfortable with. Um, he's a good one because he's such a much better hitter than a lot of the typical names you, you hear yeah. with the shift thing. So yeah, it's, it's nice to, to, to think about uh, an increase there. Uh, a few more names, Corey Seager. He's on the Rangers now. Um, I think he was hurt. Uh, a lot early on in his career, but he's a really good player. Um, and I think he's going to put together when it's all said and done a really, really impressive career. And then Freddie Freeman, uh, current free agent. By the time this airs, he might have signed with the team, potentially the Yankees, uh, potentially the Dodgers. We'll see. But he uh, is going to see uh, even more dominance is is my guess. The one that really stands out there to me is Seager because for two reasons. 
one, you completely forget he's with the Texas Rangers because it happened like five seconds before the the lockout. Um, so it didn't really get as much run and hype as you know a lot of major free agent signings would have. But two, he's so young. Like I, I for some reason in my head, I thought he was older than he is. I believe he's only twenty seven years old. So you know, this is a guy who just signed a big deal, and he's really just entering the prime of his career if he's healthy. Yeah, I'm 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 a huge fan of Corey Seager, and uh, I'm excited to see what he does. And I really do hope he hope he stays healthy. The two other names I wanted to bring up: one is a kind of like back from the dead mm-hmm. person that could see a big bounce back, uh, and he was very collectible and, and very buzzy in the hobby, uh, and then fell off a cliff. And his name is Cody Bellinger. Okay. Uh, in my opinion, one of the sweetest swings in modern baseball right now, um, and he is going to see hopefully in a, a big uptake in offense just like as a return to the mean because he was so bad last year. Mm-hmm. But also, um, I think he's going to put up some big numbers. And he's really interesting to me. There's a lot of Dodgers fans out there. And if, if you're one of them and, you know, you're, you're a big fan of him, like, you know, now might be a great time to kind of jump in to some of his stuff because uh, you, might, you might be able to do so a little bit easier than you would uh, later on in the year. And then my big sleeper is a guy named Kyle Tucker. So Kyle Tucker, he plays for the Astros, and he's just going completely under the radar. And uh, he saw the shift a ton last year. And on top of that, he his his BABIP was incredibly low. So that's that's uh, batting average on balls in play. And the shorthand for that like advanced analytics stat is how lucky or unlucky you are. Yeah. So 300 is about average, and Tucker was around the 170 mark last year. So on top of seeing on top of seeing the shift all the time, he was incredibly unlucky. And on top of that, his, it, regardless of those two things going against him, in 2021, he saw a 5.1 war. He had 30 home runs. He batted 294, had 92 RBIs and 14 stolen bases. One of the quietest, really great years in a long time. The fantasy baseball community is all over this guy. Um, obsessed like he might go in the first round he's he's going ahead of Mookie Betts Mike Trout in some cases he's right around there but in the hobby he's being largely ignored Um, so he's someone that if you love if you love prospecting um, if you kind of like finding guys before they become guys in the hobby Mm -hmm. he's a really really interesting uh, uh, card to to dive into also he was kind of overlooked because he was in that loaded 2019 product where you had, you know, Tatis rookies as the chase, you had Vladdy rookies as the chase. Yeah, that's so Yeah, absolutely. And and I love I love the design for Top Scrum 2019 as well. Mm-hmm. I think that I think it also was their best sapphire set without the blue. Uh, yeah, some people I agree with you completely, yeah. but some people prefer the blue. Yeah. And that the 2019 was the only version that's not blue. In my mind that makes it cooler. Me too. But some people like the consistency and I, I understand that. I have a I have a Tatis from that set, and uh, to be honest, I think it's the most beautiful card I own. And if it had the blue feel, that blue uh, you know look to it, I don't think I'd feel the same. I'm very jealous of you. I have the 2019 Eloy Jimenez Sapphire Auto that cool. I got at a show recently for a steal of a price. So we'll uh, we'll see how he does this year. He's got some pop. Uh, we're going to be talking to baseball a lot coming up in the, in the next several months of the show. But right now, you know, as as the new NFL league year is starting and we mentioned the Tom Brady news coming out of absolutely nowhere on Sunday. So much has already happened in the happened this offseason and there's a lot more to come. So to cover everything we haven't had a chance to talk about yet, we're going to kind of go in a little bit of a rapid fire format. So I want to start with what we just missed talking about last week, which is Russell Wilson. Now the Denver Broncos starting quarterback in a loaded division. Let's fill in the blank here. 
Jack, you're going to start us off. Russell Wilson's card market following his trade to Denver is blank. So I have a lot of Broncos fans in my life. Some of my closest friends are diehard Broncos fans. And let me tell you, those people are the most irrational fans of any, <laughs> of any sports team in the world. These are the people that were buying up Drew Locke cards mm -hmm. for insane prices, despite Drew Locke looking like a, like an XFL quarterback or something. Sorry, Locke. Um, and I, so I think they're going to go crazy for Russell Wilson if he starts putting up some numbers and if some buzz uh, starts happening uh, in the preseason. Uh, I know a lot of Broncos fans are really high on Noah Fant and they're sad to lose him. Uh, but I think, I think, his prices are going to go pretty crazy, and also because they were depleted for a while. Uh, he had a he had a he had a big run up, um, and then just uh, you know Seattle struggling over and mm. over again, and you know their their ceiling essentially being capped at like at best a, a first round exit. Uh, a lot of the hobby sort of shifted away from from Russell Wilson, so I think there's a lot of room in his cards uh, if you're a Broncos fan and and, and looking to uh, support your new QB and and, and kind of build out a, a PC of some sort. Uh, so. We'll we'll see how it goes. Me personally, uh, I'm not too excited about it, but I I, I am very uh, very curious to see how the AFC plays out because that that the, all the quarterbacks there are just completely loaded. So we'll see. He said all the quarterbacks. That includes Carr. <laughs> all right, I like it. Steve. It is blank. <laughs> I'm going right. to throw an asterisk on that last oh, okay. comment. Uh, it hurt my feelings already. Uh, I'm going to go that you know for Russell, it's. It is what it is. I think he's been in the league enough. I don't see a huge spike, but I want to look elsewhere on the roster. I want to look at the guys he's throwing to, Cortland Sutton, and especially Jerry Judy. And I know Judy had his struggles early, obviously, mm -hmm. with, with drops, but if he can get a better quarterback in there, you just see when new elevated quarterback play comes into a roster, it just lifts, the rising tide lifts all boats. And I think if you're a, a Judy collector, um, this is a good moment for you in particular because you're about to see exactly what he can put up on the field with an actual quality quarterback. So I'm looking that the lift is going to come to guys around Russell Wilson. And Judy was the ultimate tease last year because this is a guy who was elite at Alabama, a top 10 pick, struggled as a rookie with inconsistent quarterback play, had a great week one game last year, and then like right at the beginning of the season hurts his, I believe it was his ankle, and he was out for seven, eight weeks, and it's kind of a lost sophomore season. So. I, you know, you guys kind of nailed it on this one. I'm kind of myself in wait and see mode. Guy who's turning 34 next season has had some injury issues going into a loaded division. I kind of, I, I, I want to read the temperature of seeing him in actual action in Denver. So. On, on the flip side, one of the most collectible wide receivers in football right now is DK Metcalf. Yep. And I, I'm very curious to see what Seattle does there. Yeah. Um, and if, if Drew Locke is throwing them, is DK Metcalf just so massive and, and so fast and so talented that it's not going to matter? Or is he going to kind of fall into obscurity? Or are the Seahawks going to move him because it, it feels so like they're in complete, complete rebuild mode? That could happen. And, there's, and there'd be a heck of a market out there for him. Oh, yeah, for so. sure. All right. Speaking of Drew Locke, Drew Locke and Carson Wentz are two quarterbacks uh, to move so far to new teams. Drew Locke to Seattle. Carson Wentz to the newly rebranded Washington Commanders. Uh, they are now both entering kind of the last chance territory in the hobby, right? Like it, it, it's prove it or lose it. Um, if you had to pick one of those two guys to buy cards of this offseason, who are we going with? Jack? Okay, I... I think I'm, I mean, this, this isn't a really fun question to answer for no, anybody. It's, no, this is your <laughs> but, vegetables right here. Yeah, but I'm going to choose Carson Wentz. Uh, 
mostly because he was the number two overall pick. He still has a big arm. And uh, I, I think a lot of his struggles are, are, are what's going on upstairs. Mm. And he's going to Ron Rivera is the is the commander's coach. He's, he's sort of a people's coach. Uh, people are players coach. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people respond really well to him. And if he can sort of uh, get his get his head on straight um, and the roster is a lot stronger than uh, than than what's going on in Seattle. Uh, so I'm, I'm leading towards, towards Carson Wentz, uh, supplies also a little bit less because I believe that the year that he was drafted 2016, I believe. Yeah. A lot 15 less, or 16. a lot less cards than the 2019, which drew locks rookie year. So, uh, I'm, 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 I'm leaning towards, towards Carson Wentz, but again, not, a, not a really fun, fun, uh, question to answer. <laughs> yeah. I was like, honestly, you guys are going to make me take drew lock. This is how this works. I got to go like Stephen A. Sloan over here. Like, <laughs> sell us. Uh, uh, I can't. I thought you said Andrew Luck. I got to go Drew Lock. Okay. Uh, let's see. What make the case for Drew Lock cards? Mm, you mentioned DK Metcalf. Noah Fant came over. Uh, what else? Anything? No. Mm. All right. Punting this. This is supposed to be rapid fire. I got nothing. Okay. And if you're a Drew Lock collector, uh, you think there's maybe there's a little bit more <laughs> upside because we haven't seen as much. I don't know. <laughs> I I'm just trying. I'm, I'm I'm digging here. I'm an AFC West fan. I've yeah. seen Drew Lock play. Okay. I don't want to. I don't want to bury the guy. Like fresh, fresh beginnings. Let's just be positive. I okay. probably <laughs> lean. I probably lean Wentz just because we've seen it from him before. You yeah. know, it, it's, it, there's always going to be that dangling apple of what if the 2017 form returns from his sophomore yeah, year. What if the last two weeks name? of the season went differently last year for yeah. Wentz? He still might be there, but like the meltdown between the Raider and Jaguar game was just like totally. Yeah. cooked him in Indy. So, um, hey, go Commanders. <laughs> okay, so lastly, we get to talk about a new product drop. Uh, 2021 Panini Contenders Football just came out last week. What are your guys' impressions, first off, on the timing here? A little later than normal, um, you know, due to some circumstances that can't be controlled, good or bad thing, little of both. I'm going to say it's less than ideal. I like prospecting. I like the unknown of what's... Uh, coming on the upcoming season when you pull a guy out of a pack and you know you store it away and see what might happen but i want a question for you guys i mean would do you think the trevor lawrence justin fields you know entire quarterback uh, class is better off on today or on september 1st of 2021 like to me none of the guys had stellar years mm. and so as a result this probably depressed a little bit from that perspective and and so you know pulling out a zach wilson uh, card today is probably a little less thrilling than it would be uh, back in September. So you've had the sample size, right? But maybe this is also a little bit of extended prospecting because now you're going to get to see before the start of next season, an entire draft and free agency period where with this product just coming out where you see how the franchises help these guys out. Like I'm a bears fan and the bears are stripping things down around Justin Fields to rebuild from the ground up. That's not entirely promising for next season, but whereas you can see a team like Jacksonville makes a really good head, head coaching hire for, you know, for a developmental quarterback, see what they do in the draft with the number one pick, free agency. Like it, it's almost like Uber prospecting now. Um, You're optimistic. I like yeah, that. Yeah. You gave it. Well, you also have to factor into this the 2022 draft class. Like just to be honest, hobby wise is not entirely all that appealing. You don't have a number one overall pick quarterback. You don't really have any 
clear and away day one starting quarterbacks. So you're asking this class to span two years, basically. Yeah, essentially. Do the heavy 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 lifting. lifting. And, And if you look at it, contenders just came out, which means you still have prism to come out. You still have optic to come out. You still have contenders optic. You still have select. Like there could be product releases literally all the way up through training camp, which I think only helps the 2021 draft class in terms of the hobby. It kind of makes football card collecting a 365-day yes. thing. Traditionally, like the off-season, collecting and, and card prices and everything would kind of go down. Mm. But I feel like this keeps the momentum going from the entire season all the way through the off-season all the way to the next season. Totally. So, Jack, you know, one thing I've already loved getting to know about you is your eye for kind of card design and appeal. You know, I, what makes a product appealing? Um, you have really good insights on that. And let's talk about the design of this year's product. Uh, of contenders this is the next flagship product we've seen come out what's your first impressions in terms of the design compared to years past it's been pretty polarizing Mm. in the hobby world for me personally it doesn't really do much for me the the qr code uh, and then the the way that they they design the card um they they put like a a a texture of sorts behind the autographs and it, it makes on card autographs look like sticker autographs and it's it's a it's it's a little bit of an odd choice but we see some people responding to it uh and 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 kind of really liking the the uh remixed approach they took this year i i think it could look a lot better on the chrome optic stock Mm. when that's released i think some of the it's 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 a it's a more modern design. It doesn't lend itself as well to the to the paper stock, the, the traditional flagship contenders. So I'm very curious to see how it feels and looks in person when uh, when contenders optic comes out later this year. So tell us, design wise, you know, just kind of card feel and appeal wise, are you a paper contenders traditional guy? Or are you a contenders optic guy? So I've always I've always leaned into like the, the chrome stuff. I, I I've I've always liked the shiny stuff and contenders. Optic is a, is a product that I've always really gravitated towards since it was introduced in, I think, 2017. Uh, the, the Mahomes year was the first year of Contenders Optic. Uh, traditionally, uh, a lot of people in the hobby have always preferred the paper version because of its roots with, with Tom Brady in 2000 mm-hmm. and, uh, and its heritage and its history. But we've seen over the last year Contenders Optic make a huge jump, and not only in football, but in basketball as well. There was a lot of people in the, in the basketball card community that kind of rolled their eyes at, at Contenders Optic, um, even though they had on-card autos, even though it was an incredibly uh, hard card to grade, a hard card to uh, to uh, hit like the players that you actually wanted. But we're seeing a lot of uh, the value and interest and buzz in the hobby for Contenders Optic basketball go up as well. Um, so I've I've always leaned into it, and um, it's it's nice to see. Uh, the the hobby community kind of really accept contenders optic as almost an equal if you look at the prices between um paper and optic uh right now in the space uh they're they're kind of around the same and and, and it used to not be the case it used to like optic used to be about half the prices as as the paper on card autos so it is interesting to see and i think as a collector um this is just proof to kind of collect what you like. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you always gravitate towards the shiny things, but everyone in the hobby was saying, no, 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 contenders paper is where you want to be. Like you would have been doing just fine if you if you just went after the the optics. So I always find this kind of stuff interesting to me. Uh, and then design wise, especially uh, for 2020 contenders optic, they did a throwback to 2000 mm-hmm. design. 
that Justin Herbert is a pop two, and in my opinion, is like the most beautiful card ever. It's sold for uh, $27,000 via Golden in October, uh, which is which is crazy to me. I think one is on eBay right now for like $125,000 or something obscure, but it's a, it's a really beautiful card. And I think if, if, if Herbert really takes off that, uh, that direct line to, to the iconic Brady contenders auto is going to be a, is going to be a really special card, especially side by side. Yes. No, no doubt about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like you. I've, I've, I've optic contenders has grown on me. Um, last year, 2020 was the first year where I really felt like the optic, like the design looked better on Chrome than on paper. And I kind of feel like that's going to be the case this year. So let's, let's now to close this out, we've talked about how this impacts the collecting of the 2021 rookie class. Pick one quarterback from the 2021 class that, you know, out of this release, if you had to hunt for one, who is it? Jack, you go first. Uh, I'm, I'm taking Trevor Lawrence. I think it's, it's astounding to me the sort of lack of faith people have mm-hmm. in scouts, the process. I, and I think you just, you just have to understand this, this person was an elite prospect. It, it feels like he was like the second coming since, since he was in high school. Uh, and for years, we were hearing about what an elite NFL quarterback this person is going to be. And he went through a year with, with weird coaching scandals. Um, the, the star running back they drafted was hurt. Um, Almost immediately. Never played a snap. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just, he never had weapons, never had a line, really had nothing going for him. And he was just uh, surviving. So in my opinion, you know, you look at Peyton Manning at 20 interceptions his rookie year. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that are excusable. And for me, I'm just, I'm just trying to trust the process. I'm going with Trevor Lawrence and the card specifically that I'm after right now. And I, I can't find one at a, uh, a, a price point that I'm comfortable with is the mosaic peacock super short print. It is only found in mosaic choice. Um, it is a beautiful card with like this turquoise background and the color match between mm, the turquoise Jaguars yeah. uniform. It just sings. It's a really, really good looking card. Um, so if you have one and, and you want to, you know, sell one to me, you can find me on Twitter. Hearing, or something. You, hearing you talk about design, I should have known you're a team color match guy just like me. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt about it. We actually have a, we actually have a fun color match discussion coming to the magazine uh, for the May issue. Okay. So nice uh, stay stay yeah. tuned for that. It's it's, it's going to be fun. I don't want to give away the details right now, but it's a uh, it's a it's a pretty interesting discussion when you dive into uh, when you dive into a, this specific card. So stay tuned. Who we got, Steve? I'm I'm going a little different here. You know, okay. you're looking at Deshaun leaving Houston, going elsewhere. I'm going to go Davis Mills. And before everyone says who is Davis Mills or why Davis Mills, it's because he's actually a pretty prototypical NFL quarterback for pocket passer. He's got the frame. He's a big guy. And he actually finished the season pretty well last year, finishing two and two down the stretch. Um, had eight touchdowns, two interceptions over those last uh, four games. But, um, you know, it's this is a, one of those situations where everyone's piling into the big names. You got to look elsewhere sometimes. And as much as I want to go after Kyle Trask, that news is now not going to happen with Brady's return. But I think Davis Mills is an interesting guy to take a look at. I was looking at his uh, he had a 2021 um, contenders ticket auto on eBay over the weekend, sold for 161 bucks, uh, third, hmm. 26 bids. So you know people are starting to to look at him as well so something something that I would not have expected if you had thrown Davis Mills at me midway through the season last year if that's the guy whoever got that for $161 probably got a steal so well if 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 he you know takes the reins like uh, 
Houston hopes he does. For sure. so, so I am barred from picking Justin Fields because everyone who listens to the show knows my feelings on Justin Fields as a Bears fan. Uh, so I'm going to go with Trey Lance um, for also reasons we've discussed on previous episodes. I feel like going into next season, he has the best situation for success. Um, he's potentially taking over the reins on a playoff team um, within an offense that is very much tailored for a quarterback with his skill set. So I'm just trying to not outthink myself here. I know his prices kind of reflect that same type of buzz on him, but I'm going to go with Trey Lance. And we now know Brady's not going to San Francisco. Like yes. all those rumors were, were swirling. So unless something else happens in the next 24 hours with San Francisco, <laughs> of course you can't, really this is out. a relevant take. <laughs> so before we switch off uh, hobby topics, something we want to touch on um, F1, a niche sport in the U S that has grown mainstream over the past year plus for several reasons. Um, you know, the Netflix series drive to survive season four, just dropped this past weekend. Already watched the whole thing. Cause I'm a degenerate. Um, and then, you know, cardboard has an influence on that. The hobby has embraced F1 because tops got the license in 2020 started with, uh, tops now cards and now is going on a full product run here in 2021 with one of the fastest growing sports in the U S. So, this is in our emerging sports category here at PSA. Um, just to give you a little context here. So in February, 18 of the top 20 most submitted cards in the emerging sports category, traditionally dominated kind of by tennis uh, over the last couple of years, were F1 cards. Sounds like we need to make an F1 category. It's going to get its own category soon at this rate. The top six subjects that were most submitted in that category were F1 drivers, uh, the first non-F1 driver, Serena Williams, arguably the greatest female athlete of all time, was number seven. Um, cards submitted in the emerging sports category month over month has grown all the way from 1,441 in November 2021 to 3,350 in February, just four months later. And like I said, the product run, you know, tops uh, in 2020, you just had tops, chrome, Topps Chrome Sapphire, which is a, an online exclusive to Topps Montgomery Club members, and then Dynasty, a couple smaller products. Now they're getting the full run. 2021, in the last two weeks, you had a, top, a 2021 Topps Paper product uh, of F1 come out for the first time. Chrome just dropped recently, uh, right on its heels. And we're going to have some more really exciting ones coming. Dynasty is one that you love, Jack, um, that you think F1 can really lift as a brand with an under the tops umbrella. So, you know, talk about F1's place in the hobby here because you think it has some pretty favorable comparisons in terms of playing out in the future. Yeah, I do. Uh, one thing that's kind of always irked me when I'm at shows or just, or just talking cardboard with, with, with friends and uh, colleagues and that kind of stuff is that people, people assume the only reason F1 cards are interesting is because of the Netflix show and the Netflix show is, is, is fantastic, but it is a, giant sport and a giant operation so i'm going to throw out a few stats here and i'm curious if you guys think this was kind of what you expected is it more or is it less in terms of global viewership for formula one so on average 70.3 million people globally watch each grand prix Ooh. it's so i'm just going to drop in here and say i'm not terribly surprised because i went to an f1 race in 2014 i went to the u.s grand prix in austin texas for work I learned so much that weekend and I became an F1 fan that weekend. I'll, that, that's where it started for me. I had no idea 
before that weekend in October 2014, how big it was globally. I was like, it's like the U.S. is tone deaf to this. Um, and so knowing that context with everything it's had to bump it in the last seven years since then, not terribly surprised, but it's still an eye-popping number. Yeah, but but hear this. So the average Monday night football game only averages 14 million viewers globally uh-huh. on ESPN. The season finale uh, last year between which is all the drama that happened with, with Verstappen and, and Lewis, it hit 108.7 million viewers worldwide. <laughs> this, the 2022 Super Bowl had 112 million viewers worldwide. Wow. So it is a very, very big sport that's completely successful outside of the Netflix series. Mm. I think the Netflix series is sort of showcasing what's so intoxicating about the sport to a U.S. audience uh, in, in a really big way. But but globally, it's a it's a giant operation with some really impressive sponsors. You see you mm. see Rolex and Tag Heuer and these these very luxurious brands surrounding it. And if you look at a high-end product like like Dynasty and you look at the, the target market for for an F1 fan, there's a lot of correlation between between those two things. Yeah, you talk about like, especially when you see those, the the manufacturer patches like on cards, when you see a Dynasty card with a freaking Ferrari patch on it, like that feels high-end, those, right? Di- those Dynasty cards are, are really special and they're buzzing like crazy within the hobby. And it makes me think, because Dynasty has been around for a few years now, and as sort of like Topps' answer to like flawless and, and mm-hmm. the, the really high end Panini products. And it hasn't really translated to massive success in the baseball world. Um, they're not commanding anywhere near a lot of like the Topps Scrum parallels and, and, and the other stuff that, that Topps offers in the, in the baseball market. But I do wonder if Dynasty taking off the way it has for Formula One uh, will translate to baseball Dynasty cards taking off. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how that develops, uh, especially as we see where the sport goes here in this season, because for as great as and historic as last season was, it's just set the table for an even bigger 2022. Very excited. So before we jump off that, I want to get your take. Uh, outside of the GOAT, Lewis Hamilton, whose cards are we most talking about in the F1 space at the end of the season as a result of 2022 performance? I'm gonna go with with my guy Charles Leclerc here. Okay. Uh, I think I think Ferrari has a has a really really solid chance. I think he's uh, he's very marketable. He's very he's a, there's like a kind Incredibly. of a, a a cool ease to him that some of the F1 drivers don't necessarily have. He kind of like uh, he kind of oozes like what you think of. He's he, he grew up in Monaco. Mm. Um, he kind of oozes like what you think of when you think of an F1 driver. Um, so I think I think if he sees even more success this year and really takes it to the next level and is really in the conversation as like one of the, the top two three guys in the sport i think uh i think his his uh his cards will get really interesting and it's it's definitely someone that uh, i'm rooting for so because i'm in the mood for going with safe answers today like wander franco and trey lance i'm gonna go with george russell one because i'm a big george russell fan but two um he's walking into an incredible situation he's the mercedes number two driver behind Lewis Hamilton or teamed with Lewis Hamilton. And I mean, I've always been of the opinion he's an incredibly talented driver who just needs to be in an exceptional car to showcase it. And when he sat in for Lewis Hamilton in the 2020 season, you know, until he had the punctured tire in Bahrain, you saw it. I mean, he he was unbelievable. So I, as long as, uh, I mean, he has the opportunity, I'll put it that way. Now it's up to whether he delivers. Yeah, a, a lot of people are, are feeling the way 
you do do those. So I feel like I feel like there's I there's, there's 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 a chance there's a much higher chance that he's not gonna he's not gonna deliver at the at the level people are assuming and everyone just says oh he's he's with Mercedes now like he's the second coming of 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 Lewis and I don't necessarily think you can, you can yeah it's definitely not automatic. All right, well. Before we get out of here today, we have to talk about the magazine, obviously. We, as we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, you are the new managing editor of PSA Magazine. So, you know, a couple questions for you. You know, we know the magazine, which has long been going into the hands of Collectors Club members as part of their subscription, um, was under the SMR name, Sports Market Report, as a, as a pricing tool, largely. It was rebranded to PSA Magazine at the start of 2022. And with a rebrand comes a change in approach, look, feel, so we know you don't want to give away too much because, you know, there's a lot of things we want to kind of surprise members with and subscribers with. But what kind of glimpses can you give us behind the cover uh, into what's to come? Yeah, so we're doing some pretty big things, starting with the May issue. Um, the magazine is is essentially going to be kind of upgraded and upscaled in every single way. Uh, we're bringing in some really top tier design talent. Uh, we're overhauling some of our ad ops. Uh, we're elevating our our editorial approach um, with original photography, uh, more writers, uh, more storytelling, and essentially, like, there's I have, I have a couple goals with the magazine. Number one is to make a magazine about collecting feel collectible. So we're doing some very cool things with that, which I will share at a later date. And the other goal is to kind of when when we have collectors club members and subscribers get in the mail. I want to recreate that feeling of having like this car that you just want an auction come mm. in the mail and you're so excited for it to get there and you're so excited to open it. Uh, I think mail days are such an important part of, of being in the hobby and, and, and loving cards and loving collectibles. And uh, I, I really want to I really want to recreate that feeling with the magazine, uh, do some really unexpected stuff, have some surprises in there. And uh, and it's going to be it's going to be really cool. And we're expanding outside of cards, too. Uh, we're doing some stuff that has a um, a, a through line with, with with PSA, a connection with the company, a connection to collecting in, in the hobby, but um, is a little like tilted. Um, so I'm I'm so excited to work on this. I'm very grateful for this opportunity, and uh, I just can't wait to share what we're working on because it's it's coming together pretty cool. It like the 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 excitement for it oozes off of you. Thanks, this man. is like the second uh, kind of big splash in a number of months, too, because we did the rebrand in January. Yeah. The Jordan cover was really well received, I think. Now Jack's teasing us here with the fact that the May issue is going to be another big drop. So I'm excited, too. Yeah, I think we're just going to leave the teases at that. You okay. guys you guys need to uh, right now. The way to get PSA magazine, the best way is to become a collector's club member. So PSACard.com slash join. Our silver memberships are currently available. So. It's trust us. This is this it's is a nice benefit that people don't really un see a whole mm -hmm. lot of until now. Jack's going to take the reins here. But like before, it was all about the submission events and in the past vouchers. But the collectors club, I'm um, sorry, the uh, magazine has been a nice under uh, penning uh, yeah. of value to the to the to the subscription for years. So I'm excited to see what Jack does with it as well. Well, Steve, we're going to close the show as we always do with our mailbag segment. Once again, if you have questions for us at PSA card on Twitter is really the best way to get us tweet at us your questions for the PSA pod. We've got two. We want to get to really briefly this week. So one that came through, this has been a, a actually a, a, a common question regarding economy service reopening is dual grading service available in economy service. And if so, what is the pricing? 
It is available. And so for those who don't know, dual grading is essentially the grading of the autograph in addition to the card. So you're getting, say, for example, get a 10-10-10 on the card, 10 on the autograph. And it is available. It is $60 as opposed to $50 for the economy price. And this is uh, you know, a little premium added for the extra work. It does have to go to multiple departments, including our PSA DNA to group for review of authenticity and, of course, uh, for grades. So that's where that 20% premium comes over the $50 price. But the, the dual grading is available across all service levels uh, at, a, at that 20% premium. It is a, a good value, though, in terms of what you're getting for that uh, added price. Um, again, uh, dual grading definitely available. It's one of those kind of under-the-radar services that we do offer that is really popular for those in the know. And the second question we got this week that we thought was uh, really worth bringing in here to the pod, do you guys have plans to sell supplies like the PSA boxes and stands on your site again at some point? Big things are coming in the PSA store. So the PSA store, I would be the first one to admit, looks like it was uh, built and released in 1997. It may have been. But we're looking to completely retool the store, make it a much better and more modern experience. And with that, it's going to be coming new supplies, new display solutions, new merch for PSA, if you want to show your hobby pride. So the whole host of new updates are coming to the store, which will be mobile-friendly, uh, much faster checkout experience. So that is supposed to be coming over the summer. And again, if you're if you're a supplier out there, there's been so many great new hobby innovations from the supply side in terms of you know how to display your cards, how to you know the little pull tab uh, mm. um, uh, penny sleeves. Like there's so many cool things out there in the hobby now from uh, the added att- attention. If you're one of those people, like contact us. We'll get it up on the store. We're really looking at ways that we can offer drop ship uh, orders and other fulfillment options for people who are also on the supply side of the business. So. So between a revamped PSA store and supplies, between a revamped PSA magazine, uh, and as we talked about at the top of the show, the, the, the service level is running so smooth right now on incoming submissions. Good times here. Yeah, it's, this is reinvestment in the business. We were a yeah. public company for so many years chasing quarter to quarter objectives. It's nice to see ownership group putting it back into the business. Mm-hmm. And you know that's going back to collectors at this point. So it's exciting. I, I think so. Awesome. Well, I had a lot of fun today, Jack. It's so great to have you here and uh, on the show. Thank you for taking the time today. Thank you for having me. I, I love working here. I love being here. Uh, and I love talking sports and I love talking cards. So so thank you for having me. Well, we're going to be talking about plenty of both. I'm going to eventually convince you that ahead. the DH is a good thing for baseball. Probably about August, I think I'm going to get them to turn. <laughs> so. The gauntlet has been. So. All right. <laughs> for Jack Archer, for Steve Sloan, I'm Ryan Green. Thank you once again for joining us this week on the PSA pod.